This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, today we've got a very special guest on the podcast for you, and that is Pastor James Coates. So if that name sounds familiar to you, it's because it should, because we've talked about this guy a lot on this show. He is a lead pastor at Grace Life Church in Edmonton and Alberta, Canada, and he was the Canadian pastor earlier this year that was arrested for preaching the gospel. Now, what you may have heard from people that are, you know, in that province or people that are maybe on the left is that, no, 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 he was arrested because he wouldn't comply with the local health ordinances and regulations and laws that were basically made up out of thin air. Okay. So we're going to get into a lot of detail on this podcast, and we're basically going to follow up on the podcast we did earlier this year in March on episode 184 of this podcast. We interviewed the associate pastor of Grace Life. That's Jacob Spence. And and we talked about everything that was going on at that time. So we're going to bring it all up to modern day. I just did this interview. If you're listening to this on time, this interview was yesterday. So you're going to be listening to this straight from his mouth. So any of the details, this is going to be completely up to date. Now I'm going to ask a lot of the same questions of Pastor James that I did of Pastor Jacob, because those were the questions I wanted to ask Pastor James at the time, but he was languishing in a jail cell, right? You know, it's not a horrible situation that he was in, in terms of, you know, he was fairly comfortable. Uh, we, we did get into that here in the interview, but just, there were a lot of questions I wanted to ask him. There was been a lot of questions over the last several months that I've wanted to kind of get to. And guys, it took us a long time to really get this squared away because he's being asked to be interviewed everywhere and to speak everywhere. And there's a lot of things going on with the legal ramifications of what happened there. Some of the things that are going on inside the church, he is a pastor after all. So he still has to deliver sermons and he has to be there for people that are hurting and that need counsel and things like that. And so it was, it was a crazy situation for him over the last several months. So we get into a lot of those details here in this particular podcast. So you're really going to want to stick around till the end, because then we start getting into some other issues, some larger cultural topics, because again, there's his situation that's going on right now. But then this is going to help define what a situation is going to be like for someone else down the road. Because this isn't the last time that something like this is going to happen, not by any stretch of the imagination. And Pastor James is completely aware of that. And so are we here on this podcast. That's why we talk about it all the time. So definitely make sure you check this out all the way through. But guys, I'm not going to keep him from you any longer. So without further ado, let's get into it. Pastor James Coates, welcome to Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Kyle. Glad to be here. Hey, I'm happy that you're here. And, and to be honest, I'm happier that you're here and you're not behind prison cell bars. And we'll get way more into that because obviously listeners of this podcast know a lot about your story because I've kind of kept them up with it. But I'm very excited that we have you here to where we can kind of get the real story as to kind of went down. And and we're just going to go ahead and launch right in. We're going to take you right back to January 2021. Okay. This is where it all began. And that's where Dr. Dina Henshaw, she's the chief medical exo- uh, officer of health in Alberta. She ordered that your church, Grace Life, to be closed in January. And the reasons that they gave is because that you had all violated the Public Health Act, which was essentially their made up COVID-19 restrictions. Essentially your church, you know, you wouldn't mandate social distancing or masking or limit to 15% occupancy, those types of things. But that kind of brings us up to speed as to the important details of what happened in January of 2021. But if you wouldn't mind, bring us up to speed on the important details of what happened prior to January, 2021, because this just didn't happen out of the blue. And then, you know, also how you all decided to respond to the government's demand that you close your church once we do get back to January. Yeah, we opened our church uh, for good, essentially, in uh, in July after shutting down for two Sundays due to a couple of cases of COVID-19. And uh, and so we opened up and, and remained open and things began to heat up for us with our government in December. We had uh, the governing authorities in our church on the 13th. Uh, they were there on the 20th. On the 20th, I preached uh, a sermon uh, that went viral and, um, and, and got a ticket after that sermon um, later that day, really right after the service. And, and so things were on. We started to get media attention. There was an excerpt from that sermon that was played on live media, uh, 6 o'clock news, and, uh, and that definitely you know, increase the focus and attention that we were getting. And, uh, and then we got into January, like you said, they ordered us closed. We had to decide at that point in time, you know, what do we do? Um, are we going to actually in January, to be clear, that wasn't even the closure piece. That was, uh, the, that was essentially the court ordering us to comply with a December 17th, um, order of an executive health officer. 
And so at that point in time, we had the court ordering us to uh, comply with that health order. And we, um, we had to make a call. Either we were going to appeal the decision. And if you appeal it, then you have to decide whether or not you are uh, going to comply. Because really with, a, with an appeal, if you don't comply with the court order during the time of the appeal, it basically harms the appeal. And so we had to decide that. And that would have meant putting it in the court system and, and, and waiting it out and hoping that we won the appeal upwards of two months uh, from that point. Or we had to decide, no, we're going to continue to meet. And uh, it, was, uh, it was a rough call. We, we decided to continue to meet. Uh, we knew that would mean that we'd be in contempt of court. Uh, we actually did that uh, knowing that Jacob Riome in Ontario of Trinity uh, Bible Church uh, Trinity Baptist Church in Ontario that he was going to be opening in contempt of court as well. So uh, we were together essentially at that point, opening our churches or continuing to be open in contempt of court. And, and that was the first time that I had to consider jail. Um, the, the consequence for contempt of court is up to two years in prison. I remember being on the phone with my, uh, my lawyer the Saturday prior to that Sunday. And at that point in time, I was thinking that the likelihood of jail time for this was pretty minimal. But I did pose the question to him at that point in time. And uh, he said, no, it's it's pretty likely that you're going to see jail time for this. And, uh, and I said, so like, how long? He said, well, probably a couple months. And uh, man, that 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 hit me, you know, that mm. uh, I felt the weight of that. Um, you know, we were already purposed to be open the next day. And uh, we had been open every Sunday since July middle of July or whatever it was. And um, so that was the moment where I had to begin to digest the reality of jail time simply for having a, a church service. And uh, and so we opened that Sunday. In the end, um, they didn't follow through with holding us in contempt of court and ordered us closed the next the next week. And and that's what you're referring to. And, um, and obviously we didn't... Um, we didn't, we didn't close. In fact, you know what? I got to be honest. Like I'm, I'm, uh, I'm struggling now with what it was that they did. I'm pretty sure it was a, a closure notice. Yeah. We continue to meet. Absolutely. Yeah. It was a closure notice and we continue to meet. And, um, and that ultimately resulted, um, you know, in us, uh, our building being closed and everything like that. I'm, it's funny, man. I'm, I'm struggling right now for the details. And it's funny. I've rehearsed this so many times that you'd think <laughs> that I'd be able to spout this off with, uh, with, with no problem at all. But uh, anyway, point being, we opened. Uh, they didn't hold us in contempt. Ended up ordering us closed, which we thought was kind of a lateral move. And, uh, and then, you know, things heated up again on the 7th of February. So a couple of weeks later, I had already digested the the prospect of jail time at that point. And uh, I was arrested following that February 7th uh, service. It happened in our church facility. It happened in our office. My wife and elders were present with me. And, um, and then that moment was basically me being served with an undertaking. And that undertaking required that I comply with the Public Health Act. So that meant I'd have to comply with all of the health orders coming from Dr. Dean Hinshaw. And uh, I told the officers that I couldn't do that, couldn't sign off on that condition. And uh, and they said, that's fine. We'll indicate you refuse to sign, but you need to know uh, that you've just been arrested and, uh, and you know, this is the condition that you need to comply with. And, and they said, we'll be back next Sunday, which meant they knew we'd be back next Sunday. And so uh, it was February 14th that I preached a sermon titled Directing Government to Its Duty. And uh, at that point in time, um, you know, that sermon went even more viral than the December 20th sermon. And uh, and then it was following that service that I found out the RCMP wanted me to drive myself into headquarters. I was going to be arrested on the Tuesday. The Monday was a holiday. And I think at that point in time, the idea was that I would go in, I would be brought before a justice of the peace. Uh, I'd be given a condition of bail. I would sign that condition and be released. Well, the condition that I got in my bail hearing was uh, a condition that I comply with the public health orders, which would mean that I wouldn't be able to to, to fulfill my calling as a pastor. I would need to close my doors or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, comply with all the capacity limits, make everyone wear a mask, make sure everyone's socially distanced. And I just could not do that. 
And so I refused that condition and that landed me in jail for 35 days. And, uh, and you know, I was able to get out and, um, yeah, I'll just, I'll give it back to you at that point in time. Yeah. So, uh, we have it as February 16th, obviously is the day that, that you were arrested and turning Correct. yourself in, but just even briefly, I want to kind of get into your headspace as someone who's never, uh, had the pleasure of spending any time in a federal prison. Um, you knew you were going to be arrested. Okay. You, you knew that because you were turning yourself in, uh, but you didn't know how long you would be in there. I mean, you've got your your family, you've got your church family. So just briefly even take us through what was going on with yourself mentally. You, you said you'd already kind of come to grips with the fact that this was maybe a possibility, but now you're on your way. You're on your way to actually being arrested. You know, you're going to jail or prison. What is that like for you? Yeah, you know, I left my house fairly optimistic I'd be coming home. And my wife said she knew that it was likely I wouldn't be coming home. But I, I went to, I drove myself in to be arrested a second time, uh, optimistic, uh, rejoicing, hopeful, uh, not not fearful. Um, I, I did believe that I'd be able to come home that day. I, I figured I'd have one more week before things would really heat up and the possibility of prison would be thrusted upon me. And, uh, and so I went in, uh, you know, ready, but, but, but joyful and, and rejoicing. And, uh, even in prison, I was, um, you know, when I got there, I was arrested and I had to, you know, basically, uh, take off all the stuff they wanted me to take off. And, and I was in a cell and, uh, was there with my Bible. They let me have my Bible and I brought my Bible in with me. And, and so I'm reading in Philippians as a, a very go-to epistle in light of the fact that I was, uh, imprisoned at that point in time and that ministered to me. So I spent time in the word and prayer. Um, and, uh, and, you know, things began to kind of heat up a little bit in my first, uh, justice of the peace hearing, because there were two, the first one was adjourned and I came out of the first one going like, oh, this is actually feeling like it's pretty heavy. You know, like they, the prosecutor, uh, has a hate on for me. And, uh, mm-hmm. and so this is not, uh, I'm not liking the, the tone and trajectory of this whole thing. And, and then I went in for my second round and, and that time I was a little more ready uh, as far as the legal side of it and what to anticipate and expect. And, uh, you know, you're just kind of, you're there and you got two people as far as lawyers talking about you, one's yours, the other one hates you. And then you got the JP, he's kind of chiming in and you're sort of just a fly in the wall for this conversation that's taking place that revolves around your security, liberty, and future. And, uh, so, um, you know, the way that all fleshed out, I, I, I was pretty sure I was going to get a condition much like the one I had in the undertaking a week prior. Uh, and so uh, I knew that was going to come. The question was, how would it come? Would it come whereby I would need to sign it, uh, agreeing to, to comply with it, to be released, or would I just be released with a condition regardless of whether I agree to sign it or not? And of course it was, it was the the former. I, I had to sign it to be released and to sign it would mean that I'm agreeing to comply with it and I couldn't do that. So so at that point in time, when it's after the, the second justice of the peace uh, hearing and, and now it's just me and an RCMP officer and, and he's bringing me the papers and I'm, I'm finding out what what's going to happen with me. Um, you know, I it, it wasn't really a difficulty for me to decide not to sign that thing. I mean, that was already predetermined. So it wasn't like a, uh, a temptation of what do I do here? I knew what I was going to do. It was just dealing with the aftermath of it. It was mm-hmm. dealing with the, you know, where the chips are going to fall thereafter. And so in, in not signing that condition and, uh, and then beginning to deal with the implications of that, that's where things got tough. You know, I, I called my lawyer at that point in time. And I can honestly remember uh, just weeping on the phone with him. I mean, everything that you would expect to feel when you're going to be imprisoned, uh, I felt it. you know, you, you watch movies as a kid and you see a guy get imprisoned and everything that you're sort of feeling, you know, uh, vicariously through him, uh, you, you feel in that moment. And so he, he ministered to me, he encouraged me, strengthened me so that when I called my, my wife and kids, you know, I was in a, a better state of mind to tell them what's going to happen next. And here's what's going to go on. And uh, next day I had a hearing at a provincial court. And uh, and I guess there was, you know, you're, you're learning how the system works the whole way along. I was I was optimistic that maybe 
uh, that judge might intervene and, and advocate for my release. But given the fact that I wouldn't sign the condition, he couldn't do that. And, uh, and that meant I was going to be going to remand, which then was, uh, even like another kind of blow in terms of digesting just the trajectory of this. And so again, I mean, I, I remember being on the phone with my, my wife and she was actually on her way, uh, to the courthouse and, and even to the RCMP headquarters where I was at that time. And, uh, you know, again, I'm, I'm, I'm coming somewhat unglued as I, as I come up under, bear up under what's about to happen. But, um, you know, she, she just ministered to me and, and exhorted me and, um, and, and next thing you know, I'm, I'm in remand being processed as a, a prisoner. And, uh, and even that in and of itself is, uh, an, an experience. Yeah, we'll certainly get more into some of those details and also everything that happened even after your release. But just even briefly, for those of us, again, that haven't been to prison, you're there and you were there for over a month. And again, there was kind of a lot of questions as to when you would come out. But I want to know just specifically to you being in prison, what was that like for you? Were you treated well? Were you? Were, did they kind of have it out for you because you were doing something in defiance of the government? Kind of give us an inside peek into what was going on in the cell. Well, yeah, so initially... I think um, guys are trying to figure out, I mean, they don't know who I am necessarily, but as I was being processed and, and taken from my holding cell to the next stage and then back to my holding cell, I'm interacting with the guards and, and a couple of them were aware of what was going on. And they were just saying like, we think this is ridiculous. This is, this is disgusting. You shouldn't be here. Um, and so that was supportive. That was, that was nice because it was a, an expression of compassion of which there hadn't been, you know, a ton up until that point in time. And, um, you know, when I got onto my pod, I can remember, you know, the coming in with two other guys and, and the guard on that pod declares wonderful, you know, three criminals fresh off the street. And you gotta understand, like, I, as one of the guys that's there going like, yeah, I'm not a criminal and I'm not off the street, you know, I'm coming from a church, I'm a pastor. And so I ended up, having a moment where I could say to him, Hey, do you know why I'm in here? And, uh, and that would be a, a risky thing to do, I think, because, you know, he could have just blown me off, you know, cussed me out and sent me back to my cell. Um, but he, he, uh, humored me and I said, you know, I'm a pastor and I'm here for having church services. And he kind of looked at my file and, uh, and he, he, he saw that that was the case. And, uh, I went back to my cell and while I was in there, he buzzed in and he was like, Hey coats, and I said, uh, yeah. He's like, you want some paper and a pen? And I was like, uh, yeah, sure. He's like, uh, Bunyan did some of his best work while he was in prison, so I bet you could use a paper and a pen. And uh, and so <laughs> there he was showing he knew who John Bunyan was. And, and, you know, again, that was another expression of support. And so, you know, I had guys early on in prison. I mean, people were coming to me all the time, whether it was guards or whatever the case was, and just maybe we knew someone on the inside and they were coming to say, Hey, I know these folks and I'm just want you to know, I'm praying for you and they're praying for you. And tons of support came in that way. I can remember being called to the desk and, and one guy kind of, you know, said, Hey, you know, I'm not religious, but I really respect what you're doing. And, and so that kind of thing was happening quite a bit. And so I would say in general, the guards were really supportive of what I was doing while I was there. And, uh, and so my even the inmates themselves, once they got to know me a little bit, were really respectful and, and treated me well. And and um, yeah, I can't I can't complain. Well, that's good to hear, because obviously, as soon as you went into prison and we all kind of found out about it, it's like, I mean, there's no telling because the same thing that you were talking about earlier, you watch those television shows or those movies, and you're like, oh, my gosh, he's getting shanked. He's going to come out with a teardrop tattoo like this is going to be pretty intense. And that just wasn't your experience. But on March 22nd of this year, you were actually released from prison after spending 35 days in prison for preaching to your congregation. But specifically, because, as you said, you you refused to sign an agreement that you would stop pastoring Grace Life, according to the congregation beliefs like that's the main reason or as the local authorities would frame it holding a public gathering in defiance of health and safety guidelines because you're trying to kill grandma or whatever thing that they would say but you would think that that would kind of be a little bit of a crescendo to the story it would kind of start to wrap up but it's almost like that was just the beginning of the story for you because then in early april and april 7th grace life church the actual building itself was seized and barricaded by the government 
Uh, and I remember when I first saw this and I first saw the pictures, I was like, that, oh, okay. So they put a bunch of fencing around and all these different things. But on the 11th, I guess that was the first Sunday after the government took control of your building of your property. Some worshipers actually tore down the barricades to gain access to the building. And almost immediately over like 200 riot police were called in. And cool. so kind of take us through that whole process. Cause I remember seeing the little snippets and again, it's like, you don't really know what's true and what's not, but it seemed like the government was like, okay, we can't control these people. So we're just going to put up a fence. And then when the fence didn't work, they said, okay, we are going to force you almost like, you know, taking a page out of animal farm or 1984, we're going to force you to comply. That's exactly what's going to happen here. Do I have most of those details? Correct. Yeah, I think so. I like we, I, um, the five weeks that I was in prison, the RCMP AHS did nothing with respect to our gatherings. They were outside, they were there, but they weren't coming in. Then the first Sunday I'm back, they want back in the building. There's actually video of two of our guys keeping them out on the basis of uh, Section 176 of the Criminal Code, uh, where it's a, a criminal offense to interrupt a gathering, a worship service, or to disrupt a minister, either on his way to, during, or after. And so we were able to keep them out, but I found out literally a minute or two before, you know, I'm going to do the announcements to begin the service that they're there and they want back in. And that was heavy because uh, having not been there for five weeks, why were they now trying to get back in the one Sunday, the first Sunday I'm back? And uh, and so that would have been the Sunday before the seventh when they when they locked us out. So they lock us out on the seventh and uh, put up fencing and all the rest of it, like you said. You know, on that Sunday, we we were already beginning our gatherings at undisclosed locations. So we weren't even there that Sunday. Our people were not there on that Sunday. And so there was, a, you know, our, our church began, be, began to be almost like the poster child for the freedom fight here in our province. And that wasn't our intention. I mean, we're not primarily about freedom fighting. Don't get me wrong. I mean, we're we're here because we want to honor and glorify our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and, and to the extent that that has brought us into the political sphere, that is what it is. But at its, at its core, we're fighting for the headship of Christ over his church. And so we weren't there that Sunday. Uh, there were believers that were there, as I understand it, on that Sunday. And, and, and I, I understand, too, that that, apart from... Maybe the moment when the fence was being taken down, my the impression that I've been given is that that rally was actually a, a very wonderful, well-spirited rally. And uh, and so the, the way it's been painted in the media isn't quite accurate. I wasn't there, so I can't say. But um, but yeah, I mean, it was uh, the imagery that came out of that, that has gone into even videos that have been made that capture the essence of the battle here in Alberta are ugly. I mean... They are a stain on our province, and uh, it it looks like something out of China. There's no question, and so it's it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing, I think, for it's embarrassing for me. It's embarrassing for I think many in our province. Uh, I would hope it's embarrassing for our premier, and um, yeah, I would say that what happened is uh, is incredibly embarrassing. Well, and I would say even for me, it was terrifying. Because you're not that far away from us, right? You know, a lot of times things, the ideas kind of happen in Europe and maybe they trickle to Canada and they fall down in the United States. It's, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, this can't be that far away. The, the wolves are basically approaching our property is kind of the way we felt. But I thought it was interesting. And if you can't talk about this, uh, you know, that much, I completely understand why. But you talk about about things that might be going on overseas, like in a China or a North Korea. But y'all kind of had to do that because Grace Life Church had to go underground in order to kind of keep meeting. So what details can you give us about the fact that your church did start going underground and continuing to have services? Like, I, I mean, I don't know. Was it an exciting thing? Was it like a highly depressing thing for the congregation? Mm -hmm. Like kind of give me the, the details because it's just hard for me to get into that headspace. Yeah, I think it would have been different for everyone. I mean, there was certainly something sweet about that first Sunday and meeting the way that we did and and just gathering the way that we did. And and even like audio of our singing that Sunday went viral. Uh, that service got lots of attention. People wanted to see us gathering in this undisclosed location. And, and so, 
yeah, I mean, the, the, the worship and the, and the fellowship were wonderful. And I think even over time, we began to enjoy this outdoor gathering that we were doing as the temperatures warmed up and we were gathering under the sun and, and having just these wonderful afternoons of worship. I mean, we really began to almost enjoy it. But this last Sunday that we met in our building for the first time in months was the first Sunday that we had been able to meet without any concern, any fear of enforcement from the governing authorities. And, and that's like seven months, basically, of, of being on the run from the governing authorities for something as simple as gathering for worship. And, uh, and so it was, um, there's no question, it was, it was sweet. It was obviously, there were some moments, I mean, you can go back to the, the first time Pastor Tim Stevens was arrested. Uh, we were at a location, and I'm, I'm leaving that location, and I catch wind that Tim has been arrested well, at that very moment, I catch wind that had we met at the location that we had met the two Sundays prior, it's likely we would have been arrested too. Uh, we had been in the same place for, I think it was two Sundays, and we we got the sense that they were kind of on to us. We saw some unmarked vehicles in the vicinity, and so we were pretty sure they knew where we were. When you gather, it's amazing just how many planes end up overhead that, you know, can probably see what you're doing. And so whether they're a friend or a foe, that can backfire on you because they're contacting the RCMP and letting them know that you're meeting or whatever. So so we found out that that first time Tim was arrested, that had we been at the prior location, uh, it's a good chance we too would have been arrested. There were two minivans present. There was a canine unit that was present uh, that we got this all after the fact from folks in the area that that uh, were, were were seeing what was going on in our absence. And so so that was uh, that was, you know, a close call, I would say. And uh, yet we just continued to meet and and to gather in these different locations. And there was another court order that came out that was really onerous. And that's been rescinded, too, which is basically it gave AHS and the RCMP the the authority to hold the. Um, hold us in contempt of court for violating a, a court order that ruled out any illegal gathering. And so, you know, an illegal gathering would just be any gathering in noncompliance with the health orders. And so uh, that's a, that's a, an incredibly onerous court order. And, and, and that was the court order that, that Tim was originally arrested on and then released because of the way that his arrest took place. And then he was arrested again on it, even after it had been amended to no longer apply to him. And, so we, you know, there was the threat of that and, um, you know, we just, God spared us and we weren't, uh, we never found ourselves in the crosshairs of that. But you're still finding yourself in the crosshairs of the legal battle that you're, that you're in at the moment. And so that really started back in early May with kind of the first portion of your trial, which funny enough, the government had months and months and months to basically get all their details straight to present a, a medical or scientific case as to why your church should have been shut down. But they basically, the judge had to basically say, Hey, you know, court is adjourned until we can figure our crap out. And so I guess that's going to happen more later on this year. But your legal team essentially argued that your charter rights and freedoms were violated during this whole ordeal and that the court should throw out the public health act charge that was against you. So again, as we talked about off air, you're speaking to a majority American audience. So we aren't terribly familiar with charter rights and freedoms. We're you know obviously familiar with our bill of rights and our constitution. So can you give our listeners a little bit of a sense as to what charter rights and freedoms are? And then also how the court responded to your legal team's argument that your rights had been violated? Yeah, so our charter rights would be, I think, consistent with your constitutional rights. And, and so the charter is the supreme law of our land and built in it are what are claimed to be recognized as our God-given rights. And, uh, and so I think that would line up with your constitution. Um, and so in that is the freedom of religion, assembly, conscience, um, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and so... You know, we made the argument that that my 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 charter rights were infringed upon um, as far as freedom of assembly, freedom of expression, uh, freedom of conscience, freedom of religion on all those levels, including my my right to uh, security and liberty. For example, when I was given the condition of either violating my conscience by signing the bail condition or jail. You know, the argument was, well, that that is a 
that is a charter violation to put a man in that position where you're pinning his conscience against his his liberty and security. And, you know, the courts just haven't seen it that way. I mean, I think what we're seeing here in our country anyway is that our charter rights are uh, impotent. I mean, they just they just they don't carry much weight within the context of our judicial system. And, and, and in our charter at the beginning is a statement right at the outset that says that our charter rights can be infringed upon when justifiable, uh, which implies the government would have to do that, justify the infringement. Right. Um, but, but so far, our, our judges have not held our government accountable. And that's unfortunate. That's the whole point of the judiciary as far as its relationship to government and people. That's why we have these independent you know, um, systems of, of power in our countries to be able to hold each one accountable. And so our, our judiciary is there to hold our government accountable to make sure that they aren't being tyrannical uh, toward the people. But if the judiciary doesn't do that, well, then we have no protection from a human perspective. And, and that's what we're seeing right now in our country. Um, we just, we're, whether it's Ontario or here in Alberta, we just have not seen that our judicial system has come through in defending our rights and liberties. And, uh, and so it's, it's, it's sad and disappointing. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, our true liberties in Christ. And so the, the blessing of that freedom in him is the freedom to glorify him in any and all situations, even when we're on the receiving end of injustice. And so um, even if we have our, our, our human freedoms being removed from us, our civil liberties, we still have our freedom in Christ. I would absolutely say amen to that. And I think it's important to kind of bring up a few things because there were some quotes that I read throughout this whole process of trying to keep up with this that were just astonishing to me. So the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms, which is kind of helping you with your case, I saw this from them uh, and they said it was Judge, is it pronounced Shajek? Shijek? You know, to this day, I don't even know. It to doesn't even matter. Justice S-H-A-I-G-E-C. I'll just say judge. Um, they also ruled that even though Pastor Coates spent 35 days in jail because his release condition required him to violate his conscience and religious beliefs, his right to liberty was not violated. Stating that he could have been released on a single condition, he comply with the law referring to the public health orders. Now, that may not seem like much to a lot of people, but- they're saying that they wanted you to be able to be forced forced into a circumstance where you were going to have to basically sell your beliefs down the river, but that your liberty was not violated. And to an American, the, the word liberty basically is like stamped on us from the moment that we're born. That was shocking to me that, that arguments like that were being made. Now, am I framing that incorrectly or is that kind of similar to some of the things that you've heard about your case? No, I think you are. I mean, um, yeah, they they approached me not signing my condition as though that's my choice, that I, I'm free to not sign my condition, but the the implications of not signing are in no way an infringement on my on my civil liberties. I mean, the what the judge ruled in that in that whole initial first phase of, of my trial was ridiculous. I mean, his his role and responsibility in that moment was simply to determine whether or not my charter rights have been infringed upon. He didn't have to decide whether it was justifiable or not. He didn't have to, to say anything more than, yes, his charter rights have been breached. And that would have kicked in phase two, which is where we are now. And, and then we can talk about, okay, is it justifiable? And then the government can prove it either is or it isn't based on their evidence. But, but he went into some bizarre approach in, in uh, rendering his judgment on the whole thing to sort of assess whether or not my my liberties were infringed upon in the way the law was enforced. And it's just, you know, it was ridiculous. And and, and part of that's the problem as well. So so right now, the, you know, the law, at least it, it was, it's not right now at this point in time, because all the health orders have been lifted. But but when the, the lockdown measures were in place, the Public Health Act is the law. And it's really awkward because we're we're going in and contesting the legitimacy of that law but the judges aren't really even acknowledging that there might be some debate around that i mean they just kind of function like yes it's law and and even presuppose everything with respect to the pandemic i mean there were times when from my perspective these judges sounded like they could have been anchors on the mainstream media news i mean they they're just basically espousing the 
the the narrative and substance of everything that you hear on you know the six o'clock news and and you know as a as a guy who who thinks a little more critically than that goes a little bit deeper than that and doesn't just drink the kool aid of the mainstream media to hear judges talk as though the 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 information coming from a government and b mainstream media is gospel i'm just i'm i'm shocked that cuz you you want your judges to be discerning you want them to be above that. Yeah. critical thinkers you want them to be able to you know peel the layers back on the onion pull the curtain back and be able to see beyond what's going on here and that's where i would say this i've been so encouraged by what's happened in the us i mean your judicial system has proven that uh, that there's still uh, something of a, a backbone in that country with respect to freedom. I mean, even in California, I mean, I don't even think the church has lost anything in the whole time in the U.S. as far as the the Constitution is concerned. And, and yet in Canada, like we've lost almost everything. Yeah, I would certainly say that. And, you know, I hope what you just said holds true. Five years from now, 10 years from now, because I remember someone yesterday, I forget where it was, but I was listening to a podcast. Someone was talking about, okay, used to, it was like, okay, all these kids with these dumb ideas in college, once they get into the real world, they're not going to think that way anymore. They're going to get a real job. They're going to pay taxes and then they'll become more conservative. But what's happened is these people, they get these very left-leaning, you know, atheistic, narcissistic ideals and worldviews. And then they've taken them into the corporate environment, the corporate environment scared to death of them, just, you know, abdicated responsibility to withhold you know, judgment from these people and just kind of let them run the roost for a bit. And then someone said something about if that's happening in colleges, how long is it until we have woke judges? Because we certainly have left-leaning judges, but what about woke judges? People that would hear a statement that you just said and be like, that statement in and of itself is bigoted, pastor. And, and that's kind of the thing that's a little bit concerning for me. So I'm certainly a little bit more pessimistic than the next guy, but I'm, I'm hoping that that does hold true for us for the long haul. But as you did mention, kind of getting back into what you're going through on July 1st of this year on Canada Day of all days, uh, Alberta dropped all of its COVID-19 restrictions. So you were able to regain access to the Grace Life Church building. I'm sure that had to have been a great thing for you all. But again, every time something good happens, you're kind of brought back to this reminder that this isn't over, that the, that right. the fight is not done. So if you would bring us all, this is the, the 7th of July. We're going to be releasing this on the 8th of July. Bring us completely up to speed as to what's happening with the legal case and what is still to be determined in this. Well, there's a lot that's just being dropped in our province. So a lot of the tickets and everything else are just are just being dropped. And so when it comes to our particular issues, because we're challenging the legitimacy of some of this stuff, um, you know, it's really in the the hands of the prosecutors, the, the prosecution as to whether or not that stuff even gets to the point of being tested. So you need to understand this, that that phase two of my trial, where where we potentially put the government in the witness box to defend their lockdown measures, whether that even happens or not is, is not in my control. It's not in our control at all. It's, it's entirely whether or not the prosecution wants to push the envelope. So if the prosecution drops the charge against me personally, that never happens. And, and from our vantage point, you know, we would think they don't want to go into that courtroom. We, right. we would think that that's not going to go well for them. Um, now, they could obviously bank on the way that the judges have been ruling so far. And in that case, you know, they might just bank on the system being broke. And, and so even if they go in and, and can't produce anything that, that substantiates what they've been doing, well, they might just be able to bet on the fact that the judge is going to be unjust in his ruling anyway. But, you know, so whether or not my stuff ends up coming to fruition or not is all dependent on the prosecution. And, and, in, and it's all it's very possible that could be dropped. Uh, the issue with our, our church and the court summons that we're dealing with, same thing. Just don't know for sure whether or not that'll come to fruition. Not that concerned about it, to be honest with you. The, the legal side of it is, um, is not really a, a major thing on any of our minds at this point in time. There's, there's no way that I can do any jail time at this point in time. Um, even the, the prospect of being held in contempt of court for that January court order, that's mm -hmm. gone because that court order is out is, is is basically obliterated by virtue of the fact that the the executive officer's health order was removed and rescinded so i can't there's there's really no jail time that can come to fruition there's a a twelve hundred dollar ticket that i might have to pay but that's really like you know tiddlywinks at this point in time that's that's nothing to to be too concerned about and so from a legal side of it it the 
the battle not being over is more what's to come and whether or not, you know, that's it um, or whether or not in the fall, you know, we, we can anticipate another round of lockdowns when flu season arrives, because obviously at that point in time, there's going to be a spike in cases. It goes without saying, and our, our, our premier is saying all the right things. And our premier, I think he would be akin to a state governor for you guys. And so mm-hmm. our premiers are, are uh, the, the one that runs our province. And, uh, and he's saying all the right things as far as what the fall is going gonna, is gonna to look like and staying open. And he's saying there's going to be a spike in cases. And it's okay. That's, that's just part of flu season and everything else. So we'll see what happens. But you got to keep in mind that you know most of Canada is locked down right now. I mean, it's only Alberta that I understand is open. I think there's another province that opens on the 12th. But aside from that, I think everyone else is under lockdown measures. So um, so it's just, it's kind of a, a concerning thing. I know there's a lot of guys in Ontario, for example, they're, they're still in the throes of a lockdown and, and there doesn't seem to be any end in sight. And, uh, and so, you know, whether or not, Alberta can remain open while everyone else remains closed. That'll be interesting because there's going to be a, a ton of pressure on our premier to lock things up again, I'm sure. Well, and I mean, that's kind of thing is if, if you don't look at data and if you don't operate using logic, you can just keep things locked down forever. But I remember saying very early on in the pandemic, Pastor James, I said, you guys better be ready if you mean it to lock us down until the spring of 2022, because what you're saying, you kind of have the cyclical nature and then you kind of get into the warmer months and then you're going to bleed right in without having everyone on the planet be vaccinated. You're bleeding right into the flu season of 2021, right? And then all of a sudden there's going to be some new and unique strain of the flu, or maybe we need to get boosters for our COVID shots. And I said from the beginning, you better mean it. If you're going to do this, if you're going to ruin lives, if you're going to ruin businesses, you better mean it to the nth degree. And all you people that are walking around with your masks and don't want to touch anybody and doing your little elbow bumps, you better do that every flu season because this was way more dangerous for your kids than, than COVID was. The flu is way more dangerous there. But hey, you're the preacher. I'm not the preacher. So let me get off my soapbox for a second here. But um, you've mentioned a lot of times throughout this interview, Pastor James, that there have been some very other very public arrests of other Canadian pastors uh, that have, you know, or attempted arrests, uh, you know, for defying these COVID-19 policies. You know, the videos have gone viral. They've been shared around. Has there been any attempt to kind of get all of you guys together um, so that you can maybe push back as a team. And, and I would think that regardless of if you've been arrested or not, that people would want to join that team. But has there been any concerted effort to basically tell the Canadian government to shove it? Well, there's definitely some discussions that are at work right now as far as what we might be able to do from a legal side of it, um, not with a view toward any kind of retribution or vengeance toward the government, but simply to hold them accountable for what they've done. And there are recourses outside of what's already on the table that 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 could be uh, entertained and entered into and uh, stuff in the context of a class action lawsuit, that kind of a thing. And so uh, we're talking about stuff like that and um, and we're 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 considering all options for sure uh, with a view toward um, holding the government accountable and and making it more difficult for them to, to do this next time around so that they think twice before they they enter into the kind of battle they have with us. And what's amazing about that is, is that there are a lot of churches that are open. Um, you know, we aren't the only two churches, Tim and I. And, uh, and so, uh, and, and, and the government hasn't pursued these other churches like they pursued us. And so, you know, there's obviously a double standard going on here. Uh, it's, it's, it's possible that, you know, we were just the ones that they had to kind of go after because we were, the loudest and standing the tallest and and they were trying to get us to comply. And obviously they, they, they failed to do that. So whether or not they want to pick that battle again, come the fall anyway, I don't know. But, um, but there are, yeah, there's, there's definitely, there's a network of pastors that, that have come together both here on the Western side of Canada, as well as on the Eastern side of Canada, where uh, we know each other and we're supporting one another. And, and so there's, there's a network of guys that's developing that way. And there may be some legal action that's taken that can function in that way as well. When I like how you said, you know, you're trying to get some things in place right now for when this comes around again, right? Because it seems like Western culture with both of our respective countries would obviously be included in that, that we're slowly creeping towards authoritarianism, towards secularism, towards tyranny. And it seems, at least to me, that Things have been thrown into warp speed, much of it due to government overreach and control during COVID-19, but also 
how easily people were willing to give up their God-given unalienable rights for safety, for, for, for the promise of safety, not even actual safety, Pastor. And that's the thing that was just astonishing to me. And, and here at this ministry, we, we equip men to push back darkness. And we tell people that there is certainly a spiritual darkness, but there's also a cultural darkness. And most men are not prepared to push back in any real way. They haven't got their arguments straight in their brain. It's not something that they've ever really thought about. But for you, do you feel that same creep? as a pastor in a Western country that we're moving towards these ideologies, but it's, it's almost scarier that we're not being dragged there kicking and screaming. A lot of us are just whistling our way towards it. Well, yeah. So even with the way that COVID-19 has been used and this whole idea of public health and, and recognizing that there's this health agency here in our province, AHS, that was given all of this power. I mean, it was, I never saw it coming. I never thought AHS would be at the center of, you know, our our removal of civil liberties and and it's all in the name of public health. And public health, that 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 mantra is going to be used for everything. Of course. I mean, not even like stuff that relates to sickness. It's going to be, you know, your your position on certain expressions of sexuality, for example. It's going to be you know, your, your position on matters that relate to gender and, and, and those kinds of issues. I mean, this is going to impact everything. And so ideology is going to end up being a matter of public health. And if you're not singing off the same song sheet as the mainstream media and the governing authorities with respect to the ideologies of the day, you're going to be a threat to public health. And, and so people need to come to the place where they don't care about public health, where they're willing to give up public health. I mean, if you're willing to give up your civil liberties for, quote unquote, public health, then, then you're not worthy of your civil, civil liberties. And, and you're, you're going to ultimately lose them. You're going to lose them for good because that, that, that concept, public health, is going to have no end to what ends up in that bucket. Everything's going to get put in that bucket. And, and if, again, if you're, not, if you're not where you're supposed to be with respect to society, you're going to be pushed to the outside and potentially even imprisoned or put in some kind of a concentration camp. And that may sound like, you know, crazy conspiracy theory, but it's not that far off. No. Given the fact that uh, we've just gone through what we have. Right. I mean, you read the Gulag Archipelago and you're like, oh, that couldn't happen. Now it is happening already. Like there, there are Muslims that are in camps just like that or worse in China right now. But I think in the last couple of days, Governor Cuomo, the governor of the state of New York here in my country, he basically came out and declared a public health crisis of guns, like gun violence, right? Like, like there are guns on the loose in New York, like without anybody holding them, just running and taking people out. It has nothing to do with his policies or policies of other Democrats in his state, mind you. It's the guns. It's a public health crisis. But it, it's one of those things too that I'm reminded of, Pastor, whenever people are making the abortion argument, they're like, okay, you know, if the mother's health is in danger, then we need to really, really take care of that. It's like, wait, 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 wait. You snuck that in there. You said the mother's health and you think the listener hears physical health. But when pushed on it, you're going to say not only her physical health, what about her psychological health? What about her relational health? What about her job health? What about her financial health? Right? So we can kill this baby in the womb because financially her health isn't going to be where it needs to be. So it's these word games that people just love to play. I guess before we move into to the last section here, what is the, because this has all been kind of pessimistic and dire, which is my fault because I'm driving mm. the train here. But as a pastor, as somebody that, that understands the light, that understands the gospel, as I do as well, what is the positive that we should be looking for here? Because there's a lot of lamenting about the church's status in the world and how we've lost all of our influence and all those different things. But what should we be excited about? What we should, should we be looking forward to? Well, we got to be looking forward to the return of Christ. I mean, all of human history is moving toward his return and, and he is our hope. Our hope is a certain hope. And so we need to be anticipating, eagerly awaiting the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and he truly is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so regardless of what we experience this side of heaven, our responsibility is to be faithful and obedient. And as we do that, there is a crown of righteousness that awaits us. And so our responsibility is to preach the gospel, call men, women, and children to repentance and faith in Christ, to herald the, the resurrection of Christ and, and, and the glory that is to come. And, and ultimately, know that as we are faithful and, and, and walk in obedience to him, even when it's difficult and there's a great cost, that in the end, everything's going to be made right 
and we are going to be able to enjoy uh, his presence in a, a new heavens and new earth for all of eternity and 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 to the glory of God the Father. And so that that is our hope. Christ is our hope. Th- this is not our home. We are citizens in heaven and uh, and uh, citizens of heaven. And so we that's where our heart and mind need to be. Excellent. That is the gospel message. Well, we're going to get into our last section here, our last segment rather, and it's called, What Would You Say to Someone That Said? Okay, so I haven't done this in a couple of interviews because they've been a little bit too serious, so we're going to kind of bring it back. Uh, But basically, this is lightning round. So I'm going to say, what would you say to someone that said? I'm going to give you a little snippet. It may have been, you know, something bad someone said about you or just kind of a random topic, but you get 30 seconds maximum to give me an answer. and We'll just burn through these as we come towards the end. So you up for it? Yeah, let's go for it. Okay, here we go. First one. What would you say to someone that said, this is dumb. Grace Life Church should have just complied. Man, I'm, I'm at a loss for words. Um, I don't even know what I would say to that. I, you know, um, here, give me another one and come back to that one. All right, well, we'll give you a couple more and then we'll sneak it back in. What would you say to someone that said, Pastor James Coates created this situation so that he could appear to be a martyr? Yeah, so that's ridiculous. I mean, who in the world would choose this? Who, who in the world would choose 35 days in prison for, for that? I mean, the only way that, that someone could impugn my, my character that way is if that's a reflection of their own heart, that, that, they, would, that they would want that kind of vainglory. No, it's ridiculous. I mean, there's, there's no way anyone would choose this uh, unless they were um, a moron. Yeah. See, lightning round isn't that hard. You just end with an insult and then it all works out well. So let's keep this going. All right. What would you say to someone that said this wouldn't have happened if Grace Life were in America? Well, it depends on the state, I guess. I mean, there are there are states that that maybe it could have happened. I don't know. I know there are a lot of uh, there's a lot of pushback in California, for example, and the churches have come out, um, you know, strong in in the legal system on that front. But uh, yeah, I don't know that that the U.S. is too far away. I would like to say you're wrong, but I can't say that for sure. Next one here. What would you say to someone that said COVID-19 is just a trial run for a bigger future government power grab? Oh, I think that's got to be true. I mean, it's, you know, you have to condition people for totalitarianism. And so this was a test to see whether or not people would roll over and, and hand over their civil liberties for the sake of public health. And I think in a lot of cases that the governing authorities have seen, that's exactly what people will do. Way easier than they thought it was going to be. All right. Next one here. What would you say to someone that said, this is dumb. Grace Life Church should have just complied. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, we're here to, to honor and glorify Christ. And so I can understand that if, if you believe that, that honoring Christ is dumb, then you're going to believe that, that keeping our doors open is dumb. But uh, at the end of the day, we're not here to submit to Caesar as head of the church. Christ is the head of the church. The word of God needs to dictate the terms of worship. And so we think it would be dumb to do anything but what we did. See, I snuck it right back in there. That was super smooth. Great job, Pastor. Just a few more here. What would you say to someone that said, the church in the West will never regain its prominence? Well, I mean, at the end of the day, I don't even know. Um, you know, I guess if you've got a post-millennial eschatology, then then you have this, this notion that that the church is going to ultimately take over the world. I, I don't have that eschatology. I, I'm, I'm pre-millennial in my eschatology. And so my my outlook on the future is pessimistic. So I don't know that there will ever, ever be a time when the, the West is, uh, is, is demonstrating uh, uh, the church as a powerhouse in society. But, you know, in this season, the true churches, those who are truly in Christ, are going to shine brightly. And, and, and that, you know, the light shines brightest in the darkness. So as everything gets dark around us, we shine more brightly. And that's a, that's a good thing. All right, next one here. What would you say to someone that said the church in the ch- the church in the West should never regain its prominence? Well, I guess um, I mean I'm trying to figure out who would be saying that. Um, I guess 
you know, I guess let me give you a little bit more context of that. Just kind of give you a little bit because it was a small difference from the last one that said it will never. This one is should never. There are a lot of people out there that are saying the church has acted wrongly during this time period. They showed that they didn't love their neighbor. They didn't love thy neighbor because they wanted to keep things open and kill grandma. So a lot of people would just say, hey, the church in the in the West should never gain its prominence back because the church is dangerous. And then you start getting into the ideology and the exclusivity of, you know, the gospel and things like that. So what would you say to someone that would say that it shouldn't ever regain its prominence? Well, I think what that person is going to realize is that when you remove the church from society, you end up with something you never thought you were going to get. There are a lot of people out there that are ignorant about what the left wing wants to thrust upon the Western world. And, and they think that, you know, they can sort of have the morality they want be imposed on society and everything's going to be okay. What they fail to realize is that at some point in time, all of the totalitarianism that is being that is being foisted upon the church, for example, is going to end up being directed at them, and they just can't see what's coming. They have no ability to discern the the, the sign of the times. And so, I think what they're going to realize is that if if the church is removed out of society, that uh, that it's going to end up resulting in harm to them. The mob will come for us all. A couple more. What would you say to someone that said, I want to fight back against government overreach, but I don't know how to? Yeah, I mean, I don't even know. I see, you know, in my case, I'm a pastor. And and so because the government reached inside the walls of the church, well, that that brought me into this, this whole battle. I don't even know if I would have known how to be a, an effective tool in this battle uh, apart from that. And so I think at the end of the day, you have to be, I mean, you need to be, first of all, you need to be in Christ because without Christ, you have no, no reason to take a stand for anything. I mean, it's any, any stand that's disconnected from Christ is a useless stand. And so you need to be in Christ by faith. And, and then from there, you need to be obedient and faithful. And, and that means walking in obedience to the Lord, in every situation and every circumstance, both both personally and privately, as well as corporately in the context of your local church. And it's through that that you can stand for righteousness and, and be a light in this world. All right. Last question of the day. What would you say to someone that said, how can we help? Yeah, at this point in time, we're doing incredibly well. I mean, you know, you can be praying for us. You know, the biggest challenge maybe on our hands right now is that our building is too small. So we got to try and figure out how we're going to navigate that. We would love a larger facility. Um, and uh, and so, you know, that's probably the biggest challenge on our plate right now is how are we going to move forward in light of the fact that we're, we're basically breaching our fire code capacity when we meet in our building at this point in time. And so, uh, so you can be praying about that, just praying for um, our country, our, our politicians, the churches in this land, the, the, the faithful pastors in this land who maybe haven't taken the same stand as we have. Uh, that's primarily where you can be a blessing for us. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for spending so much time for us and getting into all these details. I know you've had to rehash the story over and over and over. So I'm just glad that my listeners have gotten the chance to get this information directly from you, but that is all for me. Is there anything else you want to get off your chest? You know what? I would just say this, that that you need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. And, and so I would just call you now, if you do not know him, to look to him and believe on him. He came as the son of God. He took upon himself human flesh. He lived a perfect life. He went to the cross and laid down his life for the forgiveness of sins. He died and rose from the grave. And if you would turn from your sin and believe on him, you will be delivered from the wrath of God, joined to Jesus Christ given a perfect record of righteousness and have the hope that you will, you will live even though you die physically, that there will be life after death and that you will dwell in the very presence of God for all of eternity. And so I would just encourage your listeners to believe on Christ. And then Kyle, just thank you for your time. And, and even just for the visibility you've given to this situation, to your listeners, we just appreciate that and uh, I've enjoyed this time together. Well, thank you so much for closing with the gospel. That's always a great way to leave it. Pastor James Coates, thanks for coming on Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Kyle. There you go, guys. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Pastor James Coates. Again, I keep talking about all this stuff. There is a lot of darkness that is just right outside your door, and you got to be ready to fight against it.
All right, before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. At Undaunted Life, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness. Specifically, we do that by providing content like this podcast that helps you forge spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So the links I've got for you today, I've got the Grace Life Church website. I've also got the Grace Life Church YouTube page, so you'll be able to see some of his sermons and different things that come up for them. And then also the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms website. So that is the organization that's basically helping Pastor James with his fight. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to the show. We really do appreciate it. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and TikTok and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming. Just go to www.undaunted.life. We also want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their entire music library for our content. The intro outro track on this podcast is their song Cutting the Ties, which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album Leveler. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness, keep forging spiritual mental and physical resilience keep seeking the lion of judah